Hey, I'm Jim Bereford. I'm Randy Resnick, and you're listening to Leave the Bottle. Recently, I posted in the Medium collection, which, by the way, you can find at medium.com slash life-changes, life-changes collection, where you'll see James's story. When Little League parents go wild. Yeah, that's a good one. And the other one that I was going to mention, an incident today that happened to me, and what we're going to be talking about is how people tend to sum you up or could sum you up. And a lot of this happens, like people have, a guy who was a sculptor, but who was working a, just a day job that he, you know, was not into very much, said to me, well, it's funny when people say, well, what do you do? You know, they, they you're going to have a tendency to say what you do in life. And that's what they mean. I mean, like, I wouldn't say I'm a musician because I'm not really doing that professionally anymore. Uh, so it's tough because it's like the elevator pitch for you is the way I think of it. And it's, it's damn hard to find one. And what made me think about this in the first place, my article on Medium is called Lauren Bacall with Bad Teeth. I loved that story, by the way. I loved it. Many years ago, I was playing in a club, and we were playing music uh, where there were several acts, and there was a black guitarist, uh, you know, pretty good, who got up and did his thing, and he was wearing a suit, because in those days, that's the way people looked. And when he wa- as he walked away from the stage, we saw that his elbow of the suit, the suit jacket, was torn. And uh, somebody next to me said, huh, another would-be B.B. King with a torn suit. And I just, that just, you know, it's like somebody slaps you and it hurts. It stung. It wasn't me he was talking about, but it, 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 it kind of hurt me. I thought, well, that's, that's really a little cruel. And the, the second thing that, where the title of the story comes from is we were playing in a club and there was a woman sitting at a table alone. And uh, I was on the stage, and the guy next to me, piano player, says, uh, hey, you know, that, that chick looks like Lauren Bacall. And I looked over, and yeah, she did. You know, the, the lighting's a little soft in these places. Yeah, Lauren Bacall. I love Lauren Bacall, by the way. Always have. Had a huge crush on her. She's even been great in her, um, she was in The Sopranos for two seconds, and even that was fantastic. This woman came up to me, I was at the bar, and she came up to me. And was talking to me, and I, we got to talking. I said, well, hey, let's go back to your table. Went back to her table, and I bought her a drink. And when she smiled, her teeth were kind of brownish, and, and one of them was crooked or something. Hey, let the he who is without faults throw the stone. You know what I mean? I, that didn't... Right. I, it's not like I was... Ew! <laughs> you know, it's, it was uh, surprising, though, in a woman who looked that nice and all of that. Anyway, uh, when I you know, got back up to the stage, the piano player said, so what's up with the Lauren McCall with bad teeth? And it was another one of those moments. And you know what? Yeah, you could say something like, hey, you know, don't be a douche. But you know what? If you, if you say don't be a douche to a person who's a douche, is that really going to matter? <laughs> they're not going to get it anyway. They're still going to, you know, if anything, it's actually going to maybe make them even more of a douche. Probably. I mean, there's, it's one thing to not be confrontational. A, a lot of us are not necessarily, you know, going to be contesting everything. But on the other hand, sometimes it's better just let it lie like trolls. You had an excellent story of your own about summing people up in a sentence or two, right? Yeah. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say that when I was reading the Lauren Bacall story yesterday, and it really did jolt me because it's like, 
I'll only speak for myself in one sense, that we're, but I'm going to put everybody into it. We're all guilty of that quick judgment, that snap judgment, that visual judgment where we have no real interaction with the person. We just see them. We sum them up. We feel like we know them or we know some deepness to them just at a glance. And, and it's really absurd in the end. And, and, and reading that story yesterday really did make me somehow something came to me that said wow you know what i'm really horribly guilty at doing that and it and it's not it's it's the human thing to do i suppose but that doesn't make it right uh but it did actually make me think about many moons ago when i was back in college and i was taking this humanities class and the first day of class we all come into the classroom we go to uh, our seats, and there's these uh, numbered pieces of paper, a stack of them, I don't know, 25 or 30 of them, all with the same number. The professor explains that that's your number, and that each one of you is going to go up to the front of the class and either stand there, or you could sit on a, some kind of stool that he had set up for one full minute without saying anything, without introducing yourself, just being there. And for that minute, the class was to comment on what they thought you were as a person, just something about you. It didn't have to be long and involved. It could be a few words. It could be a couple sentences or whatever. Well, that's, that's pretty daunting. I mean, these are a whole group of people who you don't know, and now you have to stand up in front of the class, essentially bare, taking in what are they thinking about you in this moment? You know, what are they seeing about you that may be real, may not be real, may be complete figments of their imagination or whatever? So each one of us goes up, and, and I'm writing my stuff. Everybody else is writing their stuff. I was like 19 or 20 at the time. And, you know, a lot of the guys, they looked like me, you know, young guys who liked rock and roll and, like, party and, you know, things like that. And the girls all looked like Marsha Brady and so forth. And uh, so then it got to be my turn to go up there. And I – because I have a uh, a birthmark on the side of my neck, and you know I've always I've always had to deal with comments and stares and things like that my whole life over it. And in some ways you get used to it, in some ways you don't. So it was my turn to get up there, and I'm like all uncomfortable and I'm all shy. And that minute was like 15 minutes. So it was finally done. And so at the end of the class. You went and you collected these sheets of paper because we had to deposit them up in the front um, at the end of class. You picked up your stack for your number, and then you just got to take them. There was no grading. There was no even – he never even discussed it again. The interesting thing is this professor never brought it up again. You just took those papers, and you left with them. So I left, and I didn't look at them for the better part of the day. And I got home and I looked at them. And it was funny because the handwriting, and that's clear as a bell to this day, that you could tell the difference between the men and boys <laughs> and the girls' writing. And almost all the boys had likes rock and roll, likes to party, you know, likes Led Zeppelin, which was all true. <laughs> Um, but uh, didn't really define who I was in any way, shape, or form. However, and most of the girls seems nice, you know, probably a nice guy, a few likes to parties too and all that kind of stuff. But there was two in particular that 30-odd years later have really stuck with me. One of them said, works at Sears. Whoa. And I'm just like, works at Sears. I'm trying to think, okay, what good could be the meaning behind that? 
and I couldn't really come up with anything good that came from that. And not that working at Sears, there was anything or still is anything wrong with that. That's not what I mean at all. But in that context, it didn't feel really good. It felt kind of like a uh, slam, especially coming from a girl. I mean, mm-hmm. you're you know you're of that age in college. You want to be popular. You want to especially be popular with young ladies. And when that impression of you to them is that, it's like, eh, not so cool. But the other slip was interesting and has almost haunted me to this day. It said, beach sand kicker. Oh. And I, number one, as in, I just... As in bully, you think? No, I don't think that's it because I was, I'm not a big guy or anything like, like that. Charles Atlas. I'm like, no, I'm like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, uh, I'm a mild-mannered kind of guy. And even then I was. I, I, I never had that kind of a... The last thing... Last, last, last thing anybody would ever picture me as as a bully, whether it's either verbally but especially physically. So mm-hmm. no, I always I've always kind of taken that more as an as an introspective. You know, did she mean that in a kind way that you know that I was one of those people who cared and and spent time thinking about things, or what? Or did she look at it in a different sense of beach sand kicker as being unsatisfied and hmm. in continually searching and continually pondering and possibly not in the best way but it's interesting i can read her writing on that paper all these many years later so it was really interesting and it it was i'm thankful for the professor for doing that because frankly that's the only clear thing that stuck with me from college after all these years (laughs) that's that's really funny i that's an interesting story and i thought that the experiment was an excellent idea interesting that they didn't discuss that he didn't um, uh, start a discussion on it but on the other hand you couldn't without revealing first of all i mean it would be weird and second because you know you might not want to share the things and say but uh second of all it was obviously an exercise to make you think maybe in the socratic um, the philosophy of you know making you do the mental work, right? And and it was interesting too because after the fact, after I read my slips and I realized how somewhat lazy I had been writing other people's, ah. I I wish I could have gone back and actually given it some more thought for each person because at the time I was just kind of like okay, well you know I'll I'll go the easy route phoning it write. in. Exactly. Phoning it again, like we were talking about last week, phoning it in. And and I really regretted that afterwards. And I was like, wow, you know, I wish I had another shot at this now, because if I could do something more, I would do something more than likes to party, likes, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, or, you know, likes to get high or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I didn't have that chance to, to set things right in that sense. Um, but it really does go to those immediate impressions. And the funny thing was, is the thing that I thought for sure was going to happen. I thought for sure somebody was going to comment on paper about my birthmark. Nobody did. Well, it was, it's a little too specific. It's, it's really unfortunate that to, um, to uh, uh, counter the mysterious ones, you didn't get one that said, I'd hit that. From a girl, from a girl, from a girl, from a girl. It sucked. It really <laughs> that sucked. I, mean, I, was, I was living with somebody at the time, so I, I shouldn't have you know, been hoping for something like that. But the ego wants what the ego yeah, wants, you know. Exactly. I know who doesn't. You know, I don't care if you're 
you know, 20 or 52, everybody wants certain validations, you know, and uh, if they're validations of that type, well, you're going to love that even more. But sadly, no. But there's a cruel streak in humanity, maybe in all of us, uh, particularly when you're young and you're, you know, experimenting with uh, the whole emotional, especially adolescent, maybe post-adolescent too, when you haven't had enough experiences happen to you, enough humanity, you know, fall onto you, where you are not only summing people up in a sentence, but maybe doing really cruel things by accident, either by accident or by intention. So, you know, making fun of people uh, is when you do it behind their back uh, is one thing, but then sometimes like they're just uh, right barely in earshot and hear it or something. It's like, uh, uh, in fact, here's a little anecdote, very short anecdote. Uh, I was at a music festival, I think it was, and uh, I was uh, talking to a woman that we who we knew for a long time, and she wasn't particularly good looking, this woman. And she said a, a, a very hugely obese person walked by um, at, I don't know, maybe 15 feet away. And sh- the woman I was talking to said, what is that? And I didn't realize it was that loud, but the other woman turned around and said, what are you, lady? And that basically kind of sums up the entire idea, which is, hey, you know, what are you to be <laughs> to be looking at me, uh, criticizing me? And it's, it's speaking of people being over, you know, heavily, heavily overweight, like huge, when you're rolling balls, um, there's a lot of, you know, activity, uh, you know, torturing and stuff going on, but bullying going on on that level too. Uh, and it's not always, like, this should be obvious to anybody who's got a brain, but it's not always because they eat like a pig constantly. That's probably one of the least uh, viable, re- uh, least likely reasons that the people are hugely, hugely overweight. It would be more likely to be glandular, or the one that we're seeing a lot of right now is uh, poverty and lack of uh, access to any food, to decent food, like in the cities and inner cities and stuff. Big it's, problem. It's it's much, much, much easier to eat very poorly. Yep. It's much, it's, it's much because too. because it's so cheap. Because it's so cheap that it's that much easier when you have a, on a socioeconomic scale. It's cheaper to go to that dollar menu at McDonald's. It's cheaper to eat really garbage food and feed your family garbage food than, I mean, like Whole Foods, you know, they call it Whole Paycheck. And my wife and I have actually cut way back on the Whole Foods. We're trying to balance out what's financially responsible for us, but eating as best as we can. But, you know, for people, and like if in a lot of American cities, I don't know how it is in France, but in a lot of American cities, if you get into the bigger cities, there's very few real grocery stores. Right. There's right. bodega, there's bodegas, there's corner stores, you know, there's these little shops, but they don't carry fresh. much at all in a way of fresh, real good fresh produce and fruits and other healthier foods. And, and and if they do, the prices are much, much higher typically than say out in the suburbs and, and other stores. So these people who a lot of times they don't have cars, they don't have vehicles, they're reliant on either walking or public transportation. So the, the, the yeah. to get out to the suburbs to get good food, even if they can afford it, which a lot of times they can't, but even if they could, how are they getting there to do that? So you have this whole dichotomy going on of people with no money and no access. So what are they going to eat? They're going to eat that crap that costs 99 cents. 
which is subsidized, by the way. And um, I got an excellent recommendation for a movie, by the way, that you cool. may or may not have heard of. It's called A Place at the Table. And if you just Google Place at the Table, very simple, it'll come up. Jeff Bridges was involved in the production of it. In fact, Ooh, in the trailer, right. yeah, he's great. And he, this is a foundation that he started, part of, it's some part of that. I think it's called Take Part. Uh, but, in fact, I see something here, takepart.com may be one of the things. Anyway, place at the table. Uh, one of the things he says is that if another country was responsible for feeding our kids the way we are here, the way the system does here, we'd be at war with them. Absolutely. Very, very good comment. Anyway, that's a great movie, and it talks about what's nice about this movie is that it, yes, it shows you all the scary stuff that goes on, what you and I just said about the being in the city, not being afford, can't afford it. If you're working, you don't have time anyway to, to get out someplace else to get it. But also, it follows a couple of people who actually have gone through, jumped through all of the hoops, a single mother in you know Philadelphia or someplace, for example, showing all of that, and they show they show what she does and how she does it, and it's just it's um, really lifts up the heart first of all because people are actually you know no one gets a fair uh, uh, painting of who they are. It's yet again another judgment. So you know every all the black right. people in this ghetto are you know they're horrible people who feed their kids. That's not true. It's just simply not true. None of these stereotypes are ever true. No. Uh, and in this, that there was her, but there was also several initiatives, including I think New York City, by the way, where they, uh, if you have a stand that sells uh, fresh vegetables and fresh fruit, there is some kind of a concession made to either in licensing or some you know space that you're renting, whatever it is. There's, the city has some kind of encouragement program, and then there are several variations. And they don't just show one place; they they picked four or five cities, I think. But I mean, it's also it's horribly depressing. But the reason I like the movie is because it's also very uplifting because it shows a lot of things that are being done, and they show the different regions. It's 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 wonderful. A place at the table. Check it out. And if you, James, if you haven't seen it, go right now. <laughs> I absolutely and it's free. I will, oh well, is is it? I think it's on YouTube entirely. Yeah, it's a documentary. Oh, but it, I, I think it's okay. available on YouTube for free, totally. For okay, free. it's eighty-four oh, minutes. Uh, if not, you can certainly get a lot of parts of it and, and okay. watch it on YouTube. I will definitely watch that then. Any recommendation on uh, something to watch or listen to uh, on your end? Not necessarily uh, on this topic, but anything. Well, yeah. Well, and I don't know if it's recommend, but I just read something that really bummed me out. And uh, Roger uh, Roger Hill, uh, the actor who played Cyrus in The Warriors, loved The Warriors, just passed away yesterday at 65 years old. And for those of us of a certain age, the Warriors really spoke to us, uh, late 70s gangs mm -hmm. in New York. And uh, it was just, it was a phenomenal movie. It was much more than just about gangs. Uh, but it did lead me to a one very quick, funny story. It came out in 1979. And I'm living in Syracuse, New York at that point. And uh, I'm going to the drive in to see The Warriors with myself and like six buddies. And nobody had any money. And it was, I don't know. $3, $4 a person to get in or something like that. So there was uh, these high weeds that were along one side of the drive-in. So they're like, well, we'll sneak in, Jim, and we'll pile into your car. And I'm like, well, okay, cool. I had a little 1971 Dodge Dart, just a little car. So I'm like, okay. So I paid, oh, they all chipped in like 50 cents a piece or something. And uh, 
to get me in. So I drive in, I'm driving down along the side of the road really, really slow. And I could see some of them in the weeds and they all had, you know, beer and things like that. So I reached over, I opened the passenger door just a little bit and the first guy comes up and he gets in the car and my second friend gets and they're piling into the back seat. So they're at one after another and I'm going really slow and they're running to get in. And all of a sudden, one of my friends is running, and boom, he drops, he vanishes, and he uh, slips and falls under my car. Oh. I run him over. What? Oh, yeah, I run him over. All of a sudden, boom, and I hear his scream, and his brother's in the car, and his brother gets, I stop, and he gets out, and he's screaming and screaming, and I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. Oh, we're in trouble now. I'm going to have to go to the hospital. His brother's, shut the hell up, shut the hell up, grabs him, throws him into the car. I had run over his knee completely, Oh. and uh, they lifted up his jean pants, and he had all sorts of bruising, but no broken bone. He's screaming, he's screaming, and his brother's hitting him, shut up, shut up, we're watching a movie, so they forced him to stay in the car and watch we watched the movie we plied him with weed we plied him with hash we plied him with beer and southern comfort and by the by like halfway through the warriors he was passed out and we went home afterwards and he's limping into his house and his mother's bitching at us what the hell happened and we kind of told her the truth and she just shook her head and just went back to sleep so that was that was and loved the movie i've watched it a million times but i thought about running over my friend uh again this morning when i read about cyrus from the warriors wow so i just a little a little funny little anecdote about running over my friend i wonder how he remembers that incident (laughs) i haven't seen him in over 30 years but uh he's probably staying out of your way I, as well he should, but I'm hoping that maybe if he sees that today, that maybe he'll think back to that. It's possible, isn't it? That August night in 1979. Speaking of obituaries, uh, Paco de Lucia, one of the greatest flamenco guitarists of all time passed. I just saw that on, uh, on Google+. Plus. Oh, oh. And that's a shame. So there'll be, when people die, at least the homage that people, you know, that are done, even though it's always over the top. I think with somebody like Paco, who's kind of like the equivalent of a classical musician, uh, whatever it is, it'll just be a bunch of people posting some of the best stuff they find on YouTube or whatever. And that's that's, uh, nothing wrong with that. Right. It's all of the uh, intellectualizing of uh, something like the star that uh, died of a heroin overdose. I mean, that, that got to be sickening very quickly. And yeah, it never stops. Yeah. But I mean, they, they just, Sad. it was so abusive of the privacy of his family in the morning yes. and all of that whole thing. It wasn't, it's not that, it's not that you shouldn't do tributes, but STFU, when you tr- do your tribute, you know, post the link to something that's not a, an analysis of heroin in New York, because that's useless. Totally right. useless. Right. Uh, and um, you could say something like, you could post it and then just say, so please decriminalize drugs because people are in jail and risking their lives and getting killed with bad stuff. But other than that, right. none of this you know, investigation and looking in what he had in his apartment, all that, that just, I just get so tired of that kind of thing. Well, that's what I wrote about a couple of weeks yep, ago about you did. Celebra- you know, celebrity death porn. And it's just like... It kind of goes hand in hand with what I said last week about uh, people who sit in the audience for Jerry Springer and so forth. Yep. You know, if you're buying, if you go and you buy the Inquirer or Star People specifically because you're seeing 
about Philip Seymour Hoffman. You, if you weren't going to be buying it, but then you did there, then fuck you because I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize, but you know what? You're doing it for the wrong reasons, yeah. and, that, and that really makes you a horrible person because. Well, it, there's degrees yeah, of being a horrible person. Let's there's face degrees. It. Well, okay, it doesn't maybe it doesn't make you a horrible person, but damn it, you know what? If you didn't buy that magazine because of that, and if all the other people didn't buy it because of that, they wouldn't print that stuff. And Hoffman exactly. had Hoffman has children, and yeah. it's just wrong. It's it not is. your business. It's not my business how he died. It's just not. He only owed you a good performance when you paid money to go see him play. And that's he left. All, a, and he left that legacy. So uh, give it up. You know, let it go. Absolutely, absolutely. You know what? None of us leads a perfect life, and you know what? We all have to realize that. And it goes back again to summing it up. You can't. I can't sum you up in one sentence. You can't sum me up in one sentence. We're flawed, mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes failing human beings doing the best we can along the way, and we need to stop the judging. And I include myself in that. I include myself. Yep. This is not the end. We have plenty more stories to tell and plenty more things to say, and we'll be doing that very soon. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.